This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome to the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson, your star. I'm Ben Anderson, your host, I guess, for right now. But Andy, you're the star. You've been doing the Salt City Hoops thing for... Okay, so here's a backstory here. Okay. Spencer Ryan Hall, yeah. who's kind of everyone's godfather here when it comes to uh, basketball media in the state of Utah, I think. Yeah. Like, literally. I don't know anyone who d- works who doesn't know Spencer and hasn't kind of gotten it in at least a little bit from Spencer. Right. Uh, I guess I didn't technically, but I was doing radio and I knew him and I was producing radio before I was doing the show with Gunther. And he, like, tweeted out, hey, I'm leaving Salt City Hoops because I think he was going over to KSL yeah. and needed someone to take it over. And you took it over, right. but I'd also like talk to him about taking it over. So you took it, and then originally I was going to write for you because yeah. I wasn't writing anywhere else, and I just never got around to it. Well, and then you found a better outlet in KSL.com, right? I, it's not better, I guess. I can't say that about Salt City Hoops on my own show, but sure. uh, but it know, was a, it's, it's a larger. Uh, there are admittedly more clicks there. on KSL.com <laughs> than there. compared to Salt City Hoops. And now we're back together. Yeah. So it's all meant to be, just a pebble in the river. Like the water will part, but it will always come back together. Well, yeah, and this is this is not like the first time we've done the show together. It's just like Zach's not. not here. We right. we miss him, uh, but we'll continue to not be here because he he moved. Uh, big show today. Obviously, Jazz made a ton of moves in the last week since we were last with you. You may have heard us talk a little bit on Monday and Wednesday. We were hosting the Bill Riley Show. Uh, but we're going to go more in depth on a lot of the moves the Jazz have made, yeah. kind of all the changes because it's been the busiest week in. In the Jazz offseason so far by a huge margin. Uh, yeah, and I guess in terms of like signings and stuff. I'm trying to patch some of the holes in the boat after Gordon right. Hayward left. Uh, coming up at 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to Dan Clayton. Getting him break down on some kind of expectations for Derek Favors. Yeah, so he wrote an article, and you can check it out on SaltCityHoops.com about kind of what he's expecting for, from Derek Favors. You know, what, what does a 90% efficient Derek Favors look like? Especially, you know, does he play next to Rudy Gobert? Does he play the backup center? You know, what, what does that look like? Uh, I don't want to overdo the Gordon Hayward talk because I think a lot of jazz fans were honestly wounded by it. Like they're hurt somewhat emotionally by it, which is totally understandable. You're a fan of the team. He was the guy. I think the jazz front office was emotionally hurt by it. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I kind of had a chance to talk to Quinn Snyder a little bit when Jonas Drebko and Tabo Cephalosha were being introduced. And it was, it was clear that like it, I don't know that he was like actually hurt. Right. But I think he was, they're They're millionaires, but I think it's fair to say (laughs) that he, he, Categorized it as he was surprised that uh, the the bonds that he thought that that were there were not as deep as they thought they were, huh. and, and I think and apparently there was still a bond with something in Boston, whether it was Brad Stevens right. or being able to be the guy on the East Coast, whatever it is. Yeah, and and so for that to have meant more to him than his relationship with Quinn and, and Johnny Bryant, and you know, kind of the situation and everything else, uh, his home for the last seven years, I think that. That surprised both Dennis Lindsay and, of course, the rest of the Jazz, too, and Quinn Snyder talking to him. Dennis, he, he felt confident, and he said, you know, we'll f- see if we feel overconfident, if we were overconfident going into free agency, and, and clearly they, they were a little bit. So let me say this. In hindsight, I, I was always a little bit skeptical of Gordon Hayward as the star. And, I, I mean, especially when the Jazz signed him to that First contract for whatever it was, $54 million, and they hadn't signed him the year before that, and the Jazz matched that Charlotte offer. I really thought at some point, just cut your losses there and just say, you know what, we're going to go in a different direction. Mm. Gordon, we're glad you got your max money. 
but you're not worth it to us. And I was way wrong because he was so worth it. He yeah. was worth every penny of that and, and more. more. was great. You won a playoff series with him. He was not the reason you only made one playoff run. No. I think the Jazz were the reason they only made one playoff run, whether that was the Joe Johnson and George Hill deals falling apart the s- previous season at the trade deadline where right. they probably would have made the playoffs uh, otherwise, but he cho- but Joe Johnson chose Miami. George Hill and Indiana couldn't get the deal done, so they settled for Shelvin Mack. Uh, whatever happened there? Had the Jazz gotten one of those two guys, I think they probably would have made the playoffs. Absolutely. Certainly would have gotten it if they had gotten both of those guys, and I think Dennis Lindsay probably felt like they had those guys or, or were very close to that because he talked about it in locker room cleanout that year. Yeah, as, as the two deals that uh, he thought had been made and that they had said yes to and then something some team pulled out. Now, I, I think there's probably another trade in there. I, th- I don't think Joe Johnson is sure. the second one of those deals he's talking about. George Hill is definitely one of them. Sure. I don't know what the second one is. Uh, and there was talk about maybe Ryan Anderson or something like that. So right. th- there were some deals around. Whatever it was, that would have gotten the Jazz to the playoffs, and that would have gotten uh, maybe Gordon Hayward a little bit more experience, and maybe that's what he wanted. Maybe he wanted more, or maybe it just did not matter at all. I don't think it mattered at all. Like, uh, I don't think if you make the playoffs in 2015 and lose to the Warriors in the first round right. that it changes things when you after losing to the to the Warriors in the second round right. in 2017. You know right. what I mean? Like, and maybe it, it's it even just... easier to leave because you say, we're going to run into this train every single time and get steamrolled. Yeah. So it doesn't matter it, what I do in Utah. I'm going to hit Golden State, and I'm going to lose every season. Yeah, I might even feel more psychologically a, a, a higher barrier, I guess. So that was that was someplace I was definitely wrong about Gordon Hayward. And then this past season, as the Jazz started winning, and they added George Hill, and it felt like Gordon Hayward had done enough kind of things of showing he wanted to be in the community, or felt like he was kind of warming up, because I always thought he was a little bit cold, a little bit aloof as a mm-hmm. star. He wasn't like, Utah's my town, I'm going to take over this place. The way I felt, Rudy instantly embraced Utah and was like, this is going to be my team. Which is pretty crazy, right? That Rudy has done that as kind of an international superstar sure. coming over from France, and, and sure. kind of with the star-level aspirations that he has. For him to say, you know, Utah's going to be the place where I'm going to do this, and I can still fit all those goals into what, what Utah looks like. Gordon, you're right, never really did that. I thought maybe we were starting to feel it a little bit this year, and I was wrong. Because I, I told you guys six months ago, four months ago, three months ago, I said, I think he's staying. Mm. I think the Jazz have done enough to prove him to stay because no one else is, has this great team or this great setup where he fits in and plugs in and is instantly a title contender. And that's still the case in Boston. They're not a title contender. They're good. Yeah. They have a chance to be better than Cleveland, maybe, but it's going to take some breaks. I mean, you're talking about flipping. Did they lose to Boston? Did the Cavs, did they sweep Boston as well, or did they lose one they, game? They lost Boston? one game. I mean, is they Gordon lost, Hayward like, game three. the difference for three games in no, that series? I mean, no. he's not. So they're still not a title contender, and then they're certainly nowhere close to Golden State. So he left one non-title contender for another non-title contender, and that's really surprised me because it was very much a lateral move outside of maybe he can build up his legacy because he's playing in Boston. I'll say, I, I mean, I'll say this. I think it's not a lateral move once you get into 2018 and 2019 and 20, you know, like the, if LeBron leaves Cleveland, and it's it's honestly seeming like a kind of a 50-50 shot that he leaves in Maybe at best for Cleveland, 50-50. Right. It feels like he's a Laker already to me. Yeah, and, and so if that's, if he goes to the Western Conference, then it's really wide open, and yeah. then you add the number one picks, and you add you know Jason Tatum, you add sure. the Brooklyn pick, you add their own Memphis's pick. I mean, it, the Lakers and, and, and or Kings pick coming up, and, and you start sure. to build like a, a real thing that could, right. I think, really be a contender. And the only team that's coming up behind you is Philly. And maybe Philly right. is really special. They, they have a chance if it, if it gels to be special. I think Washington is young enough and good enough. Sure. That, like, and they've got a star. In, and, right. uh, I, you can put them in that category, but other than that, yeah, I think you're, the East is absolutely wide open. Uh, and, and I think that played uh, a lot for him. That being said, 
it does feel like Gordon knew before July 4th, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. Yeah, no question. He knew. Why? How do you I, let it come down to that late? I, I was surprised he tried to take this process so seriously, at least play it out that way. But, yeah, I don't know why it took that long. I can't imagine it really was that hard of a decision to make at that point my feeling is he was I, I i don't maybe he didn't know but i think he thought you know i'm 80 20 out of here and i think he i think he went into the process with an open mind i don't think he ever really considered miami other than you know it the weather's nice and let's see what pat riley yeah. has to say but uh i think all along it was I, i'm likely to go to boston and can, you know and, and kind of in the way he acted as well i i, I don't think he I think he realized that his time in Utah might be over when, you know, giving the peace sign as he walks off the court, yeah. kind of his uh, non-committal sort of answers in, in locker room interviews sure. and also at the end of the season um, where he was, you know, he was asked about these sort of things. And instead of saying, you know, Utah is my number one priority, he said, we'll wait and see. I, I'll make those decisions when they when they come. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, you have questions, we always like to open the show with that. If you've got uh, you know some direction you would like us to go in the show, we're always happy to respond to that. And listen, tweet at Andy, uh, Andy B. Larson on Twitter. You can also tweet at me, at Ben's Hoops. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, you can also give us a call, 877-353-0700. That's 877-353-0700. I think the further away we get from Gordon Hayward leaving the more obvious it will become that he was going to leave. And here's why I say that. We talked about Rudy Gobert embracing Utah instantly because the Jazz front office wants these guys to embrace the city. They mm-hmm. want him to be a part of the city, and they've kind of always wanted that, but I think Dennis has done a really good job. Gail has certainly done a really good job trying to get these guys to kind of buy into the, the community that they're a part of. Yeah. And the Jazz try and draft those community guys, and Donovan Mitchell's a key example. I mean, that guy is so—that I mean, guy loves Salt Lake more than I do. And yeah. I've been here for 30 right. years, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But, uh, uh, look at him, Jonas Jerebko. He's like a huge Utah guy already. Well, yeah, but he grew up as a fan of the Jazz. Sure. Uh, okay, so George Hill, right, came in, absolutely was like community guy from day one, yeah. drove drove down Fourth West and kind of helped the homeless, right? I mean, so, and then he leaves. So I, I don't know how big of a play that really, uh, how big of a role that really plays in where a guy goes, like how much he likes the community. I, I really think it's, you know, money. And honestly, for Gordon, it was about the opportunity with Brad and and on the Eastern Conference. I, I totally agree with you. Just because a guy does or doesn't like the city doesn't mean he can't leave. But I think the the fact that so many guys have embraced the city so quickly and Gordon just never did. Yeah. Like maybe we should have known quicker that this was not the place for him. Even though it felt like, hey, he's a guy who should fit in culturally with right. Utah, whether it's the conservative nature of Utah or the fact that he wants to have this family life or whatever it is that you think would tie him to Utah. And it still never felt like it was quite enough for him. Yeah. All right. Fair Look, point. We got a phone call. Uh, let's go out. Dave. Dave, what's going on? Hi, guys. How are you doing? my take on Gordon Hayward. I think this is what was going on in his head. I think it was very obvious that he was going to leave. Looking in hindsight, like you were saying, he was going to leave. But in kind of a weird, twisted way, I think he was, in his mind, thinking of trying to do us a solid here in Salt Lake by pretending to be interested in Miami so that he could say... On July 4th, Miami's out of the out of the lead, you know. Hey, down to Boston and Utah, and then he would take Boston. We're all supposed to feel great because we're better than Miami. I, it didn't go down that way, and he looks like an idiot, but I think that that's what he was trying to do. I think he's messed up with – he was, he was going to leave, and he thought, hey, this is my way to, to do something nice for those Utah people. Let them think they're better than Miami. What do you think? I think he absolutely wanted to make Jazz fans feel good about the exit. Good call, I think Dave. That was, thanks. I, I totally agree with that. I think it was 
absolutely clear that like that was he he never wanted to be the bad guy and realized that he would be the bad guy and and, and tried to get out of that with the Players Tribune article with, and dedicating ninety percent of it to the Jazz and and all of that uh, and, and kind of setting it up to do it in his way. I agree with Dave that I don't think Miami was ever a real option. I think they set it up as the number one thing just to kind of say, hey, Gordon, here's uh, here's what a good free agency pitch looks like. But you'll have your two real ones in Boston and Utah coming up in the next couple of I days. I totally agree with Dave and what you're saying is that Gordon wanted to make Utah feel okay on the way out. I don't know if it was as convoluted as saying, like, I'm going to have Miami be the sacrificial lamb that I'm going to say yeah. is worse than Utah. But I think he's right in that Gordon wanted to handle this the right way. He wasn't mad at Utah on his way out. It is also stunning how badly he handled this. For, having, for knowing that what your plan is going to be one of two directions, you're either going to stay in Utah mm-hmm. or you're going to go to Boston, because I'm, I'm with you. I don't know if Miami was ever really all that real of an opera uh, or of a, a destination for him. The fact that they still messed it up. Yeah. so badly is insane to me. And honestly, I put like 85% of the blame on for that on Mark Bartlestein, who should know better. Right, but that's like, yeah, that's who Gordon handles Hayward, all of this stuff. Gordon Hayward should have called Gail Miller. Sure. But Bartlestein should have told him to. Right? Like that's that's what you do as an agent is here are the things that you need to do to make yourself look good in this process. And sure, Gordon Hayward should have some inkling that to, to do those things on his own. But he's also a young guy who's never had to do make these sort of hard calls before. And, and, and I, I get why that would be difficult, especially right. if you're, again, trying to avoid being the bad guy. And so for you know, those conversations to have never have happened, and again, that, that five-hour window between when Chris Haynes reported it, Tony Jones reported it, Sam Amick reported it yeah. with three separate sources – from three different parts of whether that be the Boston Celtics organization, whether that be Priority Sports, whether that be someone with the Utah Jazz, and they all of these people know about it happening the morning of, and all of it, and he pretends to not have a decision till that afternoon was right. was very disingenuous. Uh, I, I agree with you, and that's unfortunate, and it's going to end up making him kind of a a bad guy in Utah for a really long time, yeah. where he could have handled it in a much better way, and 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 even the Players Tribune, I didn't think it was bad. He didn't write it poorly. It wasn't great. It's no, not it the best way to though. handle it. But, you know, if you release that in timely fashion that does allow the Jazz, or you do facilitate the sign and trade, which Jazz not even getting a traded player exception out of it is a little difficult. Yeah. You know, that hurt. I mean, there was really some stuff that was mishandled there as far as just, I mean, Boozer had a smoother exit from Utah. Right. And Carlos Boozer was a pariah yeah. his last year that he was here. Darren Williams was handled better. And it, people still hate Darren Williams, but even that, like, felt like they did it the right way. Right. On both sides. They, yeah, it was probably the right move for Darren given to, to try to get out of that situation. Right. I mean, obviously not in retrospect because that was the best years of his career. Right. But it felt like then that kind of moving on to somewhere else was the right thing to do. And he even handled it well when he was in Utah. He only yeah. had one or two things that he ever said that kind of indicated that he was going to leave or that he wanted to leave. Even if he desperately wanted to, which I'm not sure if that was the case or not, he handled it the right way. Yeah, absolutely did. Uh, and, you yeah. know, at least... Out, you know, publicly, privately, no, right? Like privately, sure. Darren was a mess behind the scenes, right? But publicly, he did everything, and that's all that matters. Because I think there's way more messes behind the scenes in the NBA than anyone ever realizes, and we don't yeah. want to know about it. Don't show me how we the sausage is made. Oh, I want to know. Just let me eat the sausage. Yeah, but you're in the media, so like, no, it I think helps everyone with your story. wants to know. Every like, if if I report how the sausage is made, those are the things that get clicks. Those are the things that people like. Yeah, and it just about. makes people angry. Like it just makes yeah. you mad. Like I sure, actually think but people like being mad too. I think we like not knowing as much as we think we want to know. And that's everywhere in life. You don't want to know everyone's horrible secrets. You don't want to know all the terrible things I've done, Andy. <laughs> all the horrible ways I've quit jobs and things like that. You know, the same way Gordon quit a job. I want to hear your quit job way. stories. Oh, yeah. I've, I've texted in 
quitting okay. jobs and not showed up the day of and, you know, yeah. called at like three in the morning knowing I'd get an answering machine. Like that happens. Yeah. Never, not since I've been an adult, but when I was a young person trying to figure out how to live my life. But Did it, it happen not... before or after you were 26, right? That's how old Gordon Oh, Hayward. way before. Okay. Like 19. Okay. 20. Just, you know, ask him. Uh, okay. I'm done with Gordon Hayward. You yeah, good being done fair. with Gordon Hayward? Yeah. I mean, honestly, we I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because we haven't we had talked a show, it. right? Um, but yeah, I, I think... Um, and talking to Quinn a little bit kind of put that in perspective a little for me with these new signings coming in that they're, they're still trying to figure out you know what their team looks like next year. Now maybe this is me having a little bit of a media bias because I've worked around the team and I've worked around basketball and I like having new stories because sometimes it's hard to come up with a radio show, not this show, mm-hmm. but when you're doing something five days a week, you know, to get new information, I think is always my favorite part. Something new to talk about is exciting. Yeah. I hope fans feel that way. I'm actually really excited for this jazz season now, and maybe that's just because I love a shake-up to the status quo, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. I love a shake-up. And the jazz have been shaken up as much as just about any team in the NBA this year. Mm -hmm. Like, you lose Gordon Hayward, you're on to that next step of your life, and I'm excited to see what it looks like for the jazz. I also think they have some really fun players. Obviously, Rudy Gobert is maybe like a top 5, 10, just like fun player in the league. And I get that he doesn't score, but at least, you know, he's not the most skilled player. but. He uh, may have some of the most exciting dunks and blocks in the NBA and has some of the most right. of them too, right? Yeah, his uh, percentage of exciting points is by far the highest in the NBA next to yeah. like JaVale McGee. Right. <laughs> There's right. no DeAndre Jordan maybe. Right. But that's it. But And and even those guys don't make a kind of like wow plays that right. Rudy does because right. Rudy's longer and more athletic you know, and those sort of things. He's um, also awkward. Yeah. He's, he's like a beanpole. Right. So his he looks like a praying mantis but when he, he dunks. So well. He does move so well, but he bends so weird. And I yeah, it's fun to watch. Cool. All those things are good. I like watching these guys who aren't, you know, he doesn't look like DeAndre Jordan or JaVale McGee as far as being that super fluid as an athlete. So he had to figure out how to do it and he did. And that's yeah. what's so fun to watch about Rudy, in my opinion. No, I think I think you're totally right. Um I was I was reading some tweets earlier from like two, three, four years ago when, when Rudy was coming up and it's it's funny just to watch like everyone's expectations change from him being the, the 27th pick in the draft to moving to like him getting some some small playing time as a rookie, getting Andres Biedrinch played over him, and then you, you start to see him ex- explode a little bit in the second year and people kind of realizing what yeah. he can do is, is was really cool. Uh, let's go to the phones again. You can always give us a call, 877-353-0700. You can tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson. Tweet at me at ben, uh, Ben's Hoops. Uh, let's go to the phone line, though. Nick is on the phone. Nick, what's going on? Fellas, how we doing? Good, you? Good. Hey, I just had a question. Yeah. Uh, so given, given uh, obviously we know Gordon Hayward left, you know, whatever. We don't need to talk about that anymore. But I'm just wondering, like, what your thoughts are. Uh, it seems like during the courtship of Hayward, you know, uh, Ingles getting his contract was a direct result of said courtship. And it seems sort of like an albatross, not, not a terribly large albatross, but it seems like a contract, you know, Ingles is a good, like, Spot and shoot guy that can't really create his own shot, you know. And Hayward was going to be the guy to help facilitate said creation of offense, right? And now, you know, what is he making? Like eight to ten, twelve million a year? I mean, that just 13. seems like and four, yeah, four, okay, even worse. Uh, that doesn't feel like a really good a contract to me at this point. I, what do you guys think about that? And, and before you answer, and I'm going to hang up. Uh, I love the show. You guys are great together. I hope, and I don't know if that's an interest for you two long term, but getting you guys a show uh, five days a week would be awesome. Oh, so I can't, anyways, I can't uh, stand Andy. <laughs> hey Nick, good call. Thanks for your Thank support, you. man. We pre- I love all the people calling in. This is great. Yeah, uh, I love the interest at eight o'clock at night to be listening to some jazz talk. I'm that's that's why I'm right. I'm into no, it too. We love it. Like I'm here. 
so to answer his question, first of all, um, yeah, Joe's making four years, $52 million on this next contract, which is a big contract for most fans for someone who looks like Joe Ingles. Right. Yeah. Uh, moves like Joe Ingles. Moves like Joe Ingles. Talks and like, is no, Joe, 29 Joe's a, years old, like right? Like he's, he's, he's a, already in his prime and is probably going to be older, right? Like so uh, it, you look at his fourth year and he's going to be 33 or 32, whatever that is, and, and it's probably not going to be as good as what we saw this season. That being said, we had heard that there was a interest in Joe Ingles at the four-year, sixty million mark, so fifteen dollars, fifteen million dollars a year. Which I wouldn't have been surprised the at Magic. all. And yeah, and and that is in line with other guys with his kind of three and D skill set that would have that you know that makes sense. I I think this is probably about what Joe Ingles was worth in the, in this market. Uh, now, did the Jazz sign Joe Ingles because Gordon Hayward was a free agent? Absolutely, no question right? about like, it. That's that's absolutely they signed him so he would be there for that meeting. But I think that's also a, a good market value for that contract. And I also think that Joe Ingles is a better pick and roll playmaker than than the caller was giving him credit for. Um just because he, he's not just a catch and shoot guy. I think he added that to his game where he can finish around the basket a little bit and, and make the right decision in, in pick and roll. Um and he'll have to do that more next season. Uh I, I Nick sounded very well informed and knows what he's talking about there. I, I do think we, first of all, we do blend in the idea of like $13 million. That's so much money because how much did this guy used to make? Never, right. you know, Gordon Hayward's making 15. Yeah, but I mean, we're talking about percentages of the cap and that's really dorky to do, but it's like he makes 13% of the cap. How many minutes, how what percentage of minutes does he play for the Jazz next year? Like 24? You know, he plays a right. ton he, of minutes. He's a starter for you next yeah. year. He plays way more than his percentage of the cap bargains for now maybe at the end of his career that's a lot but he ends up being joe johnson in a couple of years where he's just a shooter who comes off the bench and he's never going to be an isolation scorer like joe johnson is but he's your backup four in two years when you hope that you've had a young power forward step up and be that guy and then he's coming off the bench and you love him there yeah because he's a backup three four who shoots 40 percent passes the ball still and is a winner and is a good culture guy and i and still plays a little bit of defense and passes the ball i mean he does Joe Johnson or Joe Ingles is everything you want. Right. He's just a little older, and yeah, it's probably a little bit more money, but it was worth it for that reason. And it doesn't end up being this albatross that we do see as Nick used that, that term. He doesn't being this. He doesn't end up being this albatross that some of these contracts end up being. We've talked about how much agents influence free agency in general, and and kind of having guys from the same agent on your team. You'll see guys get training camp invites and, yep. and summer league invites and those sort of things to curry favor. Um, I wonder, you know, as Joe Ingles may have, if Mark Bartlestein being Joe Ingles' agent may have helped the Gordon Hayward negotiations or whatever. Uh, I also wonder if the Royce O'Neill signing, is, who's an Andy Miller client, not a Mark Bartlestein client, directly impacts Joel Ballenboy's ability to make the team. I wonder if that was a about Mark Bartlestein representing Joel Ballenboy. This is my conspiracy theory. So like a theory. shot at Mark Bartlestein? Maybe. Huh. A little bit. I don't know. And who's his agent? Andy Power or something? Was this Pedro Power? Pedro Power. Pedro uh, he's Power. with Andy Miller, I guess. Is, okay. I, I think is what I, I okay. read somewhere. But anyway. All right. Uh, Joe Ingles is a looks like a much worse contract than it's going to end up being. And you know what? Joe, I, let's say Joe Ingles played for the Magic this past year. And you lost Gordon Hayward. The Jazz would have thrown money at Joe Ingles to come in and replace Gordon Hayward. That's a good To point. come in and play three, play the four a little bit, be able to shoot the ball and pass the ball. Like He's a very, very, very poor man's Gordon Hayward. But he's a small forward you want on your team. 30 teams in the NBA want Joe Ingles. Yeah. 30, 30 NBA teams want him. He's Absolutely. A, he's a very good NBA player. Yeah, and I, I you know, I don't think his shooting will be as good as next year because it's going to be hard to be the third best shooter in the league. He's also, but, he's not, he's he's slow. 
Yeah. He's not unathletic, and he's not the type of guy who he's going to hit a cliff and fall off and not be able to play anymore because he does play so slow already. Yeah, I, I worry about that a little bit, actually. I think, it, uh, to me, I think sometimes it's the more athletic guys figure out a way to stay longer. Like and Vince maybe Carter being 40. Vince Carter being 40. Sure. And maybe that's the difference between 32 and 40, right? Like, we're not right. we're not talking about a 12-year contract for Joey. Right. Here, He'll but. be 33 by the time this thing's done. Uh, you know, and, and Memino Kerr tears his Achilles and can't walk ever again. Can, has no value on the team. Right. Has no value in the NBA. That's, Even as a shooter, I don't see Joe Ingles having that type of drop-off because I actually think he's a little craftier than Memo was. Yeah, and he's a, he's a better defender than, than Memo ever was. And, he, and Memo can't play bigger. Right. That's the problem of being a five and losing athleticism. Joe Ingles can play two if you want him to, and then can move up and play three, and then move up and play four as he gets less athletic. That's true. And those are all things that are going to be beneficial for Joe Ingles. He'll get stronger and heavier, and, and those things will all work out for the Jazz. He could end up being Boris Diaw yeah. at the end of his career, and then you're fine with him at coming off your bench as kind of your fourth big or whatever you decide to play him as. And honestly, that salary also, and maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, is if, if you want to dump that in two years, I think it's going to be possible. Yeah. So long as, again, he doesn't fall off a cliff or get himself hurt three seasons in a row like uh, Alec Burke. He's also such a great culture guy, though. You just love him. And everyone likes him. Everyone likes Joe Ingles. I think he's a guy you, you're happy to have on your team. Uh, and you keep around for long term and then ends up working for you He later. told He told an Australian paper he's going to donate some of his money from this contract to under underprivileged families and children from Utah. First in Utah, and then he's going to go back to Australia right. and do the same thing. Like, you want that guy around. And he says, you know, no one deserves this amount of money, and I'm going to use yeah, it no to one help needs the this, community. No one needs this much money. Right? That's that's great. I'm a huge Joe Ingles guy. And yeah. I love that he's kind of taken over the role of pettiness, like taking shots at Hayward over yeah. and over and over. And that's fine. And like, they're friends, you but need, he's still taking those shots. You need to lick those wounds, and the organization needs to lick those wounds, and you need a guy who does it for you. Yeah. And he's doing it in a good way. They need to. The Jazz need to embrace that from Rudy, from Joe, I think, like, like finding themselves as an organization and finding themselves with an identity that even even if it's a little bit anti-Gordon, have an edge. You got to have an edge. You got to have an edge. And the Jazz are getting an edge out of Gordon Hayward leaving, and it's set by both Rudy and Joe Ingles. And I love that from those guys. Donovan Mitchell too. Donovan Mitchell. When we'll come back, we'll talk about Donovan Mitchell. Here's I, I've got a take on Donovan Mitchell that makes me feel okay. much better about Hayward leaving. We're going to talk about it coming okay. up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome to the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. We're taking it up to 9 o'clock, so you got another 90 minutes with us. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You have questions, send us a uh, tweet. At Andy B. Larson. That's probably the best way to do it. Andy B. Larson. You can also tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. We also had a couple of calls in the first segment. We always welcome those as well. 877-353-0700. 877-353-0700. We've got a couple of good tweets now, too. I love good tweets. Let's hear them. Uh, so, first of all, we've got Bebop 53 seconds ago said, read on Real GM that Jazz personnel at Vegas Summer League's it said they think Donovan Mitchell has Damon CJ potential offensively. Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum there. So when Do we agree. When Zach used to be on the show, uh, I always said, like, I thought the one target I would love for the Jazz to go out and find a way to get because it feels like you could shake him loose eventually because Portland has so many overlapping talents is CJ McCollum. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're ever going to get Damian Lillard traded to you, but you might be able to get CJ McCollum traded to the Jazz. I always thought that would be a great target, and you may have found him. With the 13th pick in the draft, like you did way better because you didn't have to give up anything to get him. You gave up Trey Lyles to get him. Yeah. And now you can pay him nothing as opposed to the $100 million contract that CJ's owed. CJ has always been a better offensive player in 
his college career and obviously in his NBA career, which we haven't seen from Donovan Mitchell sure. yet. Like he's CJ has that mid range jump shot yeah. better than he's a absurdly maybe good anybody player. else in the NBA. He's an absurdly like, good isolation yeah. player. I, I Donovan doesn't have that. Not Donovan's yet. more athletic. Yeah, I think, and at least off of two feet. Uh, he's a world's better defender. And yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I wouldn't trade CJ McCollum for Donovan Mitchell right now. After really? six, because CJ McCollum is such a hole on one side of the he's just so bad defensively. Wow. I mean, so that you believe in Donovan Mitchell a lot because of where the Jazz are right now. Yeah. That they're they're trying to reshape their team. You got to kind of grow in the into that identity. And man, Donovan Mitchell is just there's not much there that I think he's not going to be able to do at some point if the Jazz develop him right. And what about what the Jazz have done over the last seven years, and really since Dennis Lindsay has been here with the Jazz, which is five years, makes you think the Jazz aren't going to develop him the right way. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think you you get that surplus value since you've got Donovan on your rookie contract and CJ probably not on his rookie contract if you get that trade going your direction. So Sure. Uh, yeah, I, okay, I'm with you. I wouldn't trade Donovan Mitchell for CJ McCollum. Because he's he, you have to pay him $25 million a year, which is great, but you're kind of capped at knowing what CJ McCollum is. Right. And you have to try and build now around some weird pieces and Gobert and McCollum, which is a great pairing, but I like the upside of Donovan Mitchell because he's a defensive nightmare. Yeah. And I still think he has a chance to be a 20-point-per-game score. Yeah. And maybe he can shoot the three because he showed he could shoot the three a little bit. In He can make the three, which some guys just can't even make it. You know, some guys just, they'll take it, and they just cannot make it at all, or they just won't take it. We saw Donovan Mitchell not shoot a great percentage, but he can clearly make it. Right. So he will find ways to get better shots that he'll make. Here's what I wanted to say about Donovan Mitchell that makes losing Gordon Hayward a little bit easier, I think, for Jazz fans. At this point in their careers, where Donovan Mitchell is, what, 20? Gordon Hayward joined the Jazz when he was 20. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell is so much better than Gordon Hayward at this same point in their career. So much better. Mm-hmm. In a couple of years, once you get... I mean, the Jazz have Donovan Mitchell for seven years. You're pretty much guaranteed now with the modern CBA. There's a good chance that in the next four years, you've got a player who's even on a better path than even Gordon Hayward was. Now, it's worth noting, nobody has ever progressed like Gordon Hayward has in the NBA as far as every single year getting better. It's like him and Paul Millsap. Right. I mean, it's really incredible what he has done. Yeah. Uh, His years, his improvement from years four through seven are really great. Actually, while we were talking about Joe Ingles last segment, Joe Ingles' improvement from 27 to yep. 29 is crazy. But again, what's the jazz, common theme right. there? Jazz They're all staff. jazz development staff. Yeah. So I like that. And even even Paul Millsap obviously was a little bit under Sloan. Uh, but, but some of it still was Dennis Lindsay, and, and however you want to believe they handled that one way or another. But still, there, there's been something about the patience of the Jazz being willing to develop these types of guys. I'll say that like, the Jazz development staff did Paul Millsap well. Ty Corbin not letting him shoot threes and do what he was best at in Atlanta's offense did not do him well, right? Yep. So, anyway. Um, so, that was the first tweet. Yeah, and then the other one, Giorgio Spinius asks, is Donovan Mitchell the next Avery Bradley or the, ne- the next Joe Dumars? Well, Joe Dumars I was I haven't f- heard that comp before. Which I is a great like comp. Uh, just a defensive, like maybe the best defensive wing we've ever seen behind Michael. Scotty. Gary Payton, yeah, and, and Scotty who could guard five positions on the floor and did in the finals, and we saw that, Kawhi. you know. Uh, I mean, Donovan Mitchell's not that type of guy. Joe Dumars was that guy. I mean, he had to guard Michael and did it. That's the thing is like Joe Dumars is is the same size, right? He's six yeah. three, and and I don't think he's as long as Donovan or, ath- or athletic or as but athletic. That's, but that's 80s NBA versus 90s. Nobody right. was as athletic then. Some guys exactly. obviously could. You know, there there you were some freaks guard back there. Russell Westbrook, right in the 80s. Yeah, no one had to be that athletic, so you didn't work on that part of it. But uh, 
that's I love that comp. And if that's his upside, you've got a six-time All-Star Hall of Famer. Was Joe Dumars one? That's a great question. Yeah, absolutely Hall of Famer. Uh, and was he a first? Was he? I don't think he made the NBA top fifty at that time point, but he certainly deserved to be in that conversation. Yeah, because he was the second best player on a team that won multiple championships in the in the night or in the late eighties, which a lot of people still think with Bird, with Magic, with Michael, with Kareem was still the best era of basketball we've ever seen as far as star power goes. Yeah, I mean, if he if he becomes Joe Dumars, you're you're thrilled. Eighteenth pick too, three times All NBA. Uh, yeah, if you get Joe Dumars, yeah, of course. <laughs> He's your franchise piece forever. Um, and if you're playing him next to Rudy Gobert, you're a really good basketball team. Do you like the Avery Bradley comp? I get it physically. Yeah. He's so much more skilled than Avery Bradley is. I like Bradley. I really do. I, I think Brad Stevens has done a brilliant job turning him into a guy that everyone in the NBA wants all of a sudden. Yeah. When he wasn't always that. Right. I, I think he's developed a lot in his third, fourth, fifth years. Uh He's a, he's a much better player when he was than he was when he was a rookie and kind of being a, a role player on those on those early Celtics teams. And I know he hit a big um, shot. He hit the big shot against Cleveland, right? That one win that Boston got. I yeah. think Avery Bradley mm-hmm. hit the game winning three. Correct. Late in the game, I already want the ball in Donovan Mitchell's hands more so than Avery Bradley because I think Donovan Mitchell can get separation. Yeah, I mean that was that was a fluke, right? Like that's that was just everyone was shocked at that win. Right. And Avery Bradley has a couple of those game winners in his career because he's the guy when everyone is focusing on Isaiah Thomas or whoever else is on that team, they kick it out to Avery Bradley and he's a good enough shooter to beat you. I actually think Donovan Mitchell is a guy you find on an inbound pass and say, go to work. Yeah. Avery Bradley's not that guy. And I would rather have that score. Uh, he, he, I also think Donovan Mitchell is going to play a lot of point guard in his career, and that's not Avery Bradley. I think, that, I th- and neither was that Joe Dumars, by the way. Uh, I, I think there's a possibility that like we're overrating how good Donovan Mitchell is uh, offensively and especially how efficient he'll be during his NBA career. You know, I, I don't know. It, it really does come down to how much he can get to the free throw line and how well he can shoot the three ball. Uh, and I think if, if he becomes a better one-foot jumper, that will really help in terms of his ability to draw fouls. Right now, he's going to be stifled a lot at the rim by better rim protectors. He, he already was a little bit in summer league, quite frankly. Uh, it, it, if he can improve on that, get to the free throw line a little bit more, then you then you start getting the real like number one number two scoring option kind of yep. efficiency numbers that can make your team great. But it's not out of the conversation. No, it's not. And you got him with the thirteenth pick, and, and you really got him with the twenty fourth pick. My favorite thing is he knows this. Like, yeah. so many of those guys don't know it. I, again, was going back through old tweets today, looking at Trey Burke, yeah. kind of some some of the things he said, and it was always about I need to do more, I need to be more confident, I need to shoot the ball more, I need yeah. to lead this team to where it can be. That wasn't Trey Burke's problem. Was the number of shots he was taking. The problem is he was taking the wrong kind of shots, and you know a million other things. wasn't playing defense, but uh, Donovan knows that he needs to work on his shot selection, and and did improve that. And he needs to work on his defense so he can get on the floor and stay there, and you know kind of be a team player. And 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 that is so rare to see from someone who's twenty and is getting the hype that he's getting. Wednesday, you and I hosted Bill's show, Bill Riley's show, eleven yeah. to two, right here on ESPN seven hundred, and we did a redraft. Of this 2017 NBA draft, uh, just with guy, just with rookies coming out of the summer league, and I think we had Donovan Mitchell five, maybe he was four. I think you had him third. Well, we is, went is uh, third or no, we went we went Ball, we went Fultz, we went Dennis Smith Jr., and then I think we went Donovan Mitchell number four overall. Yep. Uh, when was the last time the Jazz coming out of summer league had a guy that was like obviously a top five talent from that draft? And and again, it's really hard to say coming out of that, yeah. but. I mean, Darren, maybe, and maybe not even then, because Darren's know summer Darren league was a, wasn't great. Was not great. Uh, no, and there were guys who came in that looked really good at that time, like some big, like Sean May, which is 
That's a cautionary tale. Right. Sean May, I think, dominated that uh, that summer league, and it's just a whole, never made it in the NBA. Couldn't yeah. play. Uh, but I don't remember it was so obvious that the Jazz had a guy who was going to be a top five talent coming out of that draft. Yeah, no, I, I can't Don, think of that. I remember Dante's first game in a Jazz uniform at Vegas Summer League, and you thought, like, okay, he had a couple of dunks yeah. and showed off his speed, and you felt like that, that could be really something. But then it, it tailed off in games two, three, and four in that, if, if I remember correctly. It's also worth so- Wiggins didn't play in that Summer League at all because they were waiting to trade him. Right. So he never played in the Summer League, I don't believe. Right. So there were some weird things there. I don't think anyone's been in, as impressive in a Jazz uniform in summer league since what we saw with uh, with Donovan Mitchell. And I can't remember the last time it was that impressive and that obvious that they were going to be really good. It's it's the best Jazz rookie summer league performance ever. Yeah. I feel pretty confident saying that. And when was the last time the Jazz had that? I mean, they've had to have Gordon Hayward sneak up on the NBA and become a star. And Rudy Gobert sneak up on the NBA yeah. and become a star. And Paul Millsap do the same thing. And the Jazz didn't even see him at his prime stardom. Right, because, I mean, how many bad picks, how many good picks have they ever had? Right, right, it's, yeah, meaning high Dante picks. Dante Exum and Ennis Cantor. Right. Uh, and and Cantor, right. yeah, you said Cantor, but yeah. uh, so right, that's that's about it. And both of those guys were guys who were coming off of not playing basketball for the last eighteen months, right? So I, it's a great spot to be in. It's a nice base to start building on, and something the Jazz haven't had the advantage of because you get a contributor who's making no money next year, and that's what you like because then you can build a lot of pieces around it. We're gonna take another quick break. When we come back, we're gonna look at some of the free agents the Utah Jazz now have signed and how they're gonna fit in. What does this offense look like? Can you score? And where do you score? Andy's got some takes. We'll uh, have that coming up next. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, I'm Ben Anderson. Tweeted Andy. Twitter at uh, Andy B. Larson. Tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan Clayton coming up here in about 10 minutes. He's got a, a new article out on Derek Favors, whether or not he can return to the man he used to be a couple of years ago when there was a decent argument before Gobert's real emergence and, and Gordon Hayward just continuing to grow, whether or not he was the Jazz best player. Yeah, I think I think his point is real that we kind of consider Jazz, uh, Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors as the Jazz co-captains. In fact, I think they were the co-captains yep. on that team. Um, but also just in, in talent, too, what they brought to the Jazz. And then Derek Favors had the season he had last year, and, yeah. and Gordon Hayward took the step up. Um, and I, I really do think Rudy Gobert's emergence and, and taking so much of what Derek Favors did away from him in terms of role in the offense really hurt Derek last year more than, more than a lot of people realize. Totally agree. Uh, and we'll see if that overlap ends up killing him. We'll talk to Dan Clayton about that. Coming up here in about 10 minutes. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes here. Let's yeah. talk about the Jazz offense a little bit. I want to okay. talk about the free agents, and we need to do that in the second hour, so make sure yeah. you stay tuned for that. But let's talk about the Jazz offense and what was already the slowest team in the NBA mm-hmm. loses a guy who can score in the half court, score on a broken play, score right. in transition. So you need to probably speed it up if you lost your half court score, right? I think so. But then again, like, how are the Jazz going to beat you? By being really good defensively. Yeah. And so maybe you only, maybe you only speed it up when you get takeaways? So pace is kind of weird, right? Because it, it's the number of possessions in a game. And so you can kind of impact that on both the offensive and defensive end. Right. Now, the bad news is that the Jazz were the slowest team on both, right? So they, they held the team, the opposing, te- opposing team to slow possessions by just containing the hell out of the ball and, and blocking shots and everything else. Correct. But they never got turnovers, so they didn't end positions quickly. Uh, but they were the slowest offensive team as well. So it's not the defense really kind of holding the offense back or anything. They... 
pretty clearly, I think, need to let Ricky Rubio do some things in transition because I think he's a yep. special transition player, and that's where he, he can do kind of that, that Lonzo Ball kind of stuff of finding guys creatively in transition that you don't expect and, and getting them wide, wide open shots. And I'd put Mitchell in that conversation as well. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell, another player who needs probably is better in transition than in any other facet of the game. Sure. Um, but you still have a lot of slow guys. Joe Johnson, Joe Ingles, Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's not particularly fast. No, he's he's no. he's slow. I think that's fair to say for for his age and and yeah his position. He's he's a below average speed guy. Uh, and of course, Derek Favors could hardly run. Period. Last year, yeah. Previously, he was one of the better runners at power yeah, forwards. I thought in the right. NBA, and we'll see if he can get that back. So that's a that's a big question, and and maybe that that plays a big role in it. Is if you if you have three guys who can run down the court, you're you're probably fine. Yeah. on the court, if you only have two. You you don't have a you don't have a transition offense. Okay, let me ask you this: Who's the Jazz' fastest lineup? Like, what's a real lineup you could put out there that can run the floor? So probably I Rubio. Mean, I, I want or Dante. I mean, Dante's the fastest point guard of. Well, maybe Donovan is. I you know, I honestly think you could, depending on what Dante's able to do this year, could you go Rubio, Mitchell, Mitchell XM three? Yeah, just and you're talking three minutes a game. Yeah, you're not honestly. Quinn Quinn talked about that as a possibility. And then your four is your I mean, four Eric Griffin's is not going to play a lot. <laughs> Jerebko or yeah, maybe Tabo. On Tabo's good in transition. Sure. Uh, and and maybe you can also sub out Exum for Tabo and, and get a guy who can run. But th- yeah, you could play. You could probably play Cephalosha there with yeah. Exum at the three, and then your five is whoever. I mean, it's yeah. It probably technically fastest is Joel Ballenboy, but, <laughs> but Udo. Uh, Udo is yeah is can probably the actual run. answer. Uh, you could do that. You can't score in the half court at all with that team. No. So you only have to you get have, out in transition. Right. So it's probably not an actually good lineup. Right. But, but. that's <laughs> that's a lineup that you could get out and try and run with a little bit. And then you mix and match there so you have somebody who can score. And maybe you put Favors in at the five because Favors actually is a guy who you can throw the ball to in the low post and at least start to execute an offense around him whether or not you're asking him to go get a bucket. Yes, yeah, honestly. So I would put Ekbe Udo as kind of that point guy, as, as a guy who's going to make good decisions. Because and, he can pass, because not because he can, he can score. Right. Because he can't score. I mean, he can score receiving passes, but he's right. right. He's not going to create his own shot. But yeah, in terms of a an offensive pivot, Ekpe Udo is that guy. Okay, we'll talk more about where the Jazz are going to get some buckets because clearly that's going to be an issue. When we come back, we're talking to Dan Clayton about the reemergence of Derek Favors on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN seven hundred. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN seven hundred. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. You ever want to tweet at us? Feel free to. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a little bit of direction on the show because we're happy to talk about whatever NBA-related, jazz-related. You let us know. Little, we can talk O.J. Simpson. You want to talk a little O.J.? Okay, okay. Free. Free O.J. now. Uh, anyways, let's welcome I won't in. make the pun. What? The O.J. pun. The, I won't make it. Is there a free O.J. pun? Uh, the, uh, you're going to make me. The what, juice is loose. Oh, the juice is loose. Yeah. Well. Back not on really the streets. All right, let's welcome in our next guest. Uh, he wrote an article at Salt City Hoops uh, about Derek Favors. You can find him on Twitter at Dan Clayton, but subtract that last O and put in a zero. Follow him on Twitter, Dan Clayton. Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, fellas, how's it going? Good. Uh, uh, so your article is great, by the way, and I, that's why I wanted to have you on. And, and honestly, this this Derek Favors conversation is one that's been ongoing for Jazz fans, and especially with some of these new acquisitions all in the front court for the Jazz, it's kind of trying to figure out what Derek Favors' role will look like next season. So I wanted to ask you what your best guess is with 
Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Jarebko, Ekpe Udo, and obviously Rudy Gobert, Joe Johnson, and, and other guys in, in tow. What does Farrick, Derek Favors' role look like next season? Yeah, I mean, I like you guys, I, I count 11 guys who probably need to be in the rotation, right? And, and another couple who could be, so who, who are rotation quality or who have played that kind of a role in the past. So, uh, you know, I mean, certainly you start looking at the number of bodies at any given spot, and and there are questions. Now, personally, I think, you know, Tabo is 6'7", um, and if you look at the way teams have used him in the past, he'll play some four, but usually only when the other team is really small and he can guard a, a true wing. And you know what I mean? He, he's not really a guy who guards a lot of bigs. Um, but, you know, the Jazz like using Joe Johnson at the four. Um, they signed Jarebko, and, and I think that the Jarebko signing, I, I think they're planning on starting favors, but I also think that they want to have someone who, you know, Jarebko has started off and on, and I think they want to have someone who if favors needs to rest for a while, if, if they need to do some load management with favors, they, they have an option there. Um, in my mind, Rudy and, and Ekpe Udo are, are pure fives. Um, although, you know, last season that's where favors got most of his minutes too. So there's definitely a lot of bodies, and I, I think they'll shuffle in and out. But I just think the Jazz would really benefit from, you know, carving out a role for favors and seeing if, with a, a summer of basketball, if they can get him back to the levels he's been at before last season. Dan, what's the biggest detractor for Favors' production? Is it the injuries, or is it overlap in skill set with Rudy Gobert? No, yeah, I don't think there is. I mean, there's some overlap in the sense that neither guy is going to step out and hit a three, or at least, you know, haven't shown that yet. I think that the two fit wonderfully together. I've written about this time and time again over the last couple of years. I think Rudy and Favors work together. Um, the numbers bear that out. I've done columns in the past where I showed video of how the two play well off of each other and um, you know both guys can make and receive the pocket pass if someone stops the short roll and so I, you know I think they can work together the the real thing that I saw actually I was surprised when I was researching the article um, that first of all um, the, the favors mid-range game it, it really hasn't flipped at all uh, you know what I mean like I test-wise, I think all of us would have assumed that he just wasn't as consistent there this past season. But the reality was he still had his best shooting season, you know, from 10-plus feet on twos. Yeah. Um, so when you ask, Ben, what the, what the real detractor is, where Favors' game has slipped, it's really the fact that he's just not finishing around the basket. And I've got to think that that's a legs thing. And, and that's part of the reason why I'm hopeful that the Jazz can unlock some percentage, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think they can unlock some portion of old favors this upcoming season. See, and I think it's obviously that percentage of, of rim runs has gone down, but I think so frequently where Derek Favors used to be the screen and roll guy in the Jazz's offense, now that's Rudy Gobert. And I think that has taken away so many opportunities from Derek Favors and what he did best, which was, in, in my mind anyway, rolling to the rim. Now, almost every time you'd rather have Rudy do that because he's such an exceptional finisher. What do you, what's your response to that? Oh, well, I mean, you're definitely right. I think Rudy has surpassed him as a, as a true pick-and-roll finisher. Um, I would say two things, and, and it, this isn't necessarily to debate your point. I think it adds to your point and, and helps answer the question of how Quinn might use the two together. The first point is that um, the way he's traditionally used the two together when they're both on the floor is whichever one isn't involved in the pick-and-roll is down in what the Jazz call the dunker. It's that spot behind the backboard on the weak side of the floor. And, and that's the spot where, like I say, it's a, it's a different way to space. It's not the same as having Joe Johnson parked in the weak, all the way out in the weak side corner. 
or Boris Diaw all the way in the weak side corner. But it's, um, it's a spot where the defense has to pay attention to you or else you're one step away from a dunk. And so I think the two of them have both gotten better at, recogni- at making that read when the ball comes to them and figuring out, is this my shot or do I slip this down to the other big? And the other thing I'd say is, while I agree with you that, that Rudy is definitely, uh, you know, he finished with elite numbers in uh, finishing plays in the pick and roll last year, but I, I think Favors can do more things there, right? Favors is a pick and roll guy, especially if he gets back to be playing a little more bouncy. But he also can be a pick-and-pop guy. He can, he can stop on that short roll and take that 15-foot jumper, a shot that he's canning in the upper 30%, which is a pretty good percentage for you know 15-foot jumpers in the league. So I think that Quinn can find ways to use both of them. I think he can find ways to use them together and find ways to, to stagger them and sort of give them both turns as the roll guy. But uh, I think certainly going forward, Rudy's going to get um, – Maybe the maybe the share that Favors used to get in terms of the percentage of pick and roll plays run for him. Now, I, I guess my question then is to whether you play them. To, I mean, do you think? I guess first of all, if if he is somewhere like eighty to ninety percent of what he was in twenty fifteen sixteen two seasons ago, still kind of injured, still kind of worried in, in that sort of way, uh, worrying, I should say. Do you can you play him and Rudy? Next, you know, is is Derek Favors a four in that position, or is that kind of a a backward way of looking at it? And can he defend fours? Is an, is another question. Well, I I think that yeah, I think the bigger question is on D. But for me, it's not about can he defend fours. It's about how can he switch? It, are, are his knees going to give him the mobility to get out on the floor and switch? Because I think that's the question that determines whether Derek Favors can play power forward. Um, you know, in 15, 16, and 14, 15, and those, in that two-season stretch, and really even the year before that, what Favors was so good at, and if you remember that, that season when the, when the Jazz really kind of flipped the script and they dumped Cantor midseason and promoted Rudy Gobert and really decided we're going to be a defensive club, the, the talking point around that was not just about Rudy. It was about Rudy. It was about some elite ball, uh, you know, point of the ball defense they were getting from Dante Exum as a rookie, mm-hmm. and it was about favors and his ability to switch and unlock so many opportunities and so many schemes on the defensive end. And I think that's the question. If he can do that, there are just not that many guys in the league who can do 16 and 8 and protect the paint when they need to and step out and contest on Chris Paul on a switch. So, you know, that I think will be the question. I personally think, and this was kind of the point of the article, I think that if he's at 90%, I think he's just too good not to find minutes for him. Yeah. Um, now, if you keep going south of 90, at some point you cross a threshold where you know it's not worth it and, and, and where you can't do some of the things with him that you would like to be able to do. I don't know what that number is. I, you know, I think it's a little more esoteric than a percentage, but um, you know, there's, there's a point at which Favors is just too dang valuable and can do too many things that are – that are important in this era of NBA basketball to not play him if he's at that point. And, and you know, that's the big question. Dan Clayton's our guest, ESPN 700. Dan, is there an emphasis on upping his trade value and getting him minutes? So he's an unrestricted free agent next year. I mean, is there a chance where you say, hey, we want him to look as good as he can by February because this team isn't remodeling, but it's rearranging? Uh, or I shouldn't say rebuilding, but maybe they're remodeling and rearranging a little bit. Favors could have some trade value in that sense. Is there a desire to get him out there, show him off, and move him? See, I don't know that they'll necessarily 
trades, uh, uh, like they're rebuilding trades, and then there are trades where you just get something that is a little bit different and fits your fits your squad and your needs and the way that your coach wants to play. And if a trade in the latter category came up, I think they would I think they would do it right. Like that's that's a no brainer. I'm not sure that they would move him in a pure rebuilding trade. Um, I, I guess the question is, and I touched on this briefly in the article, but you know, I <laughs> I flew by it because I was trying to not put my readers to sleep. Um, the funny thing when you think about trading favors is, you know, I think there's a question that was raised this summer with the Hayward departure, the Gordon Hayward departure, about kind of what is the type of player that wants to stay and make a career in Utah. And, you know, favors really was the first guy in this group in this sort of dispensation of jazz players to really embrace the community, embrace Salt Lake, commit long-term to being a jazz man, and, you know, said great, you know, made Salt Lake City his year-round home. So that doesn't mean you can't trade him. I just wonder if there's a cost in terms of the perception around the league. If every time the jazz get a guy who loves Utah and wants to be in Utah, like a Paul Millsap did and like Derek Favors does, if, if they keep sort of turning their back on that players, I'm not sure they're going to have that many guys around the league evangelizing about how great Utah is. So, again, your, your question is a good one, Ben. I don't know the answer necessarily. It depends on what's on the table at some point this season. But, uh, yeah, I could certainly see a point in time where his trade value is, is more of an asset than his basketball value. I'll give you a counter there, though. I mean, even with guys like Paul Millsap, who you mentioned, Paul talked to Tabo Seflosha and said, look, Utah is a place where it's a, it's a good place to sign. And, you know, he obviously some of that was that relationship with Quinn Snyder that he built in Atlanta, but some of it was uh, his relationship with the Utah community and the Utah front office as a whole. So I think there is there is something there that, you know, I, I don't think that Derek leaving would make him think ill of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's probably a fair point. And, you know, Darren Williams left on bad terms and yet still has a home in Utah. And, you know, Costa Kufas, of all people, um, wasn't in Utah <laughs> that long to begin with, but he spends um, portions of his summers in his Salt Lake. So it's, it's probably a fair point. I just I know that Dennis has talked a lot about changing the narrative, and he has a guy in his locker room that really believes in that narrative and believes that Utah is a special place. And um, so, you know, all I'm saying is maybe that factors in a little bit, but... At the end of the day, they have to do what's right for the franchise. I'll also throw this in there. I think that was, and obviously Derek is one of those guys who still lives in here during the offseason and stuff like that, but I think some of that is going away with, with these last couple of years of, of play, whether that be um, him listing his home for sale. That's something we reported on KSL. Um, right. And honestly, the the biggest issue may be the fourth quarter playing time, which is something that you've been writing about for the last couple of years where I think Derek really is frustrated that he's not finding himself on the court, uh, whether that be in the playoffs where he didn't start any games or you know even for the last two seasons not playing at the end of games. And uh, I, I don't know that he sees himself as a, a long-term fixture if that doesn't get fixed in some sense. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, and I guess that's more what I mean. It's, it's less about, um, you know, if he moves on or, or goes and, you know, applies his trade elsewhere – um, it's more about if the relationship goes sour, you know what I mean? And, and that's a little bit what I worry about because, I, you know, I know that Favors wishes he was playing in the fourth quarters. Um, you know, it, I, he'll, uh, first of all, he would tell us that on the record, and second of all, I've, I've, you know, heard a lot about Favors wishing that he was on the court in some of these moments. And, and hey, look, 
the Jazz absolutely do not get past the Clippers in the first round without Derek Favors. Like, that's how important he was, not just while Rudy was out. In Game 7, Rudy was, you know, he was in foul trouble and, and, you know, struggling in in a couple different ways, and Derek was really important defensively. He had 17 and something. He had a double-double. So, I mean, I think to a degree he's earned the right to say, hey, especially in a post-Gordon Hayward world, hey, why am I not, you know, why am I not being allowed to impact games late? Yeah. Um, and and certainly, if if we've read, um, I know that his agent made some comments that, um, right after the season ended. Um, I think it was Tony Jones that had that article yep. with some thoughts from uh, Wallace Prather, Favors' agent. And I mean, it it sounded pretty resigned. It sounded like, oh hey, Favors might not be here. So I think already the there are questions about his relationship with Snyder. There are questions about how central he is to the plans. And I guess the point was just, I, I don't, I don't think we should necessarily assume that that's a one-way street. I think maybe there's a chance that they could, if he's healthy enough to do the things that Peak Favors did for the Utah Jazz, I think there's a chance they could kind of flip that around and and begin to utilize him um, more and in the spots that he likes to be utilized in. You can find him on Twitter at Dan Clayton. Replace that last O with a zero. You can read him at saltcityhoops.com. Read his favors article. Dan, really great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. There he is, Dan Clayton. Uh, yeah, with good stuff. And I, you know what I really agree with Dan there is that it's not like this is some irreparable or, no. or it's not a relationship that is in such disrepair. Absolutely not. That he couldn't be here long term. But I would say this. He's an unrestricted free agent. I've heard the reason Lou Williams didn't end up on the Jazz is because he has the same agent as Favors, and that agent was not happy with how the Jazz had handled things, either not getting a contract extension done or whatever it was. Uh, a contract extension, like he could renegotiate his deal the same way George Hill could have. And the Jazz could still do that with Favors, right? I mean, I think he still has the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Uh, Again, but, but going I to. don't think it's likely to, for him to sign it this early for the reasons we've talked about. Uh, and actually, I, the Jazz timeout. I, the Jazz don't have the cap space to give him more money anymore. So okay. that would be that's the bigger problem. And the Jazz are simply a little asset depleted. Yeah. I mean, they kind of used up their assets getting Ricky Rubio and then trading up to get Donovan Mitchell. They kind of wasted the the excess that they had, those extra picks that right. they had. They've got all their own. They're one of only a couple of teams that has all their own second rounders and all their own first rounders. They've actually got a couple more second rounders as well. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of valuable asset, non-player depleted. And especially because there is some real uncertainty going into the season. Like, you don't, you don't want to trade your upcoming pick. And so sure. maybe maybe you know maybe you see a Lou Williams esque deal where you trade Derek Favors at the trade deadline for a late first round pick yeah and and, and you get that get asset something back. out of it right you know so frequently I think Jazz fans have been frustrated by guys by the Jazz losing guys without getting anything in return and, and maybe and, Dennis Lindsay does feel particularly burned with what happened with Gordon Hayward yeah and true. what has happened with some of these guys Paul Millsap Marvin Williams they oh, they yeah. let a couple of too many guys probably walk for nothing yeah so maybe you we, do and you know what. I, I liked I loved Derek Favors. I mean, I, I loved when the Jazz traded for him. I loved moving on from Darren Williams. I thought he was a central piece. I wrote an article at KSL two years ago that asked if Derek Favors is the Jazz best player. You know, Rudy hadn't been become Rudy yet, yeah. and Gordon was still kind of on that brink of stardom. But you weren't sure if he was going to keep progressing to be beyond sixteen five and five. If he was going to be that twenty five and four guy that he turned into. And Favors was top 20 in pretty much every category there was outside of scoring. I mean, he was a top 20 player across the board as far as every measurable kind of advanced statistic. He was really great. Yeah. Uh, and then that he's been hurt and that's trailed off and his usage has gone down and and, and uh, Rudy Gobert is so much better than he is. He is looking a lot 
slimmer. Yeah. In in this offseason, we had a chance to kind of see him at summer league, and and you know, I didn't see him work out by any means, but I saw him walk by me, and and he is sure. he's a different shape than he was at in last year, where I think the injury really prevented him from working out and and moving as well as he's used to. Maybe the Jazz don't want to let what happened with Paul Millsap happen with Derek Favors, which is maybe they want to say like, hey, let's get you two three point attempts a game, maybe early for the first two or three months of the year. Uh, you know, up through December, uh, let's see if you can shoot the three. And if you can, let's keep shooting it. And then if you can, we really love you and we'll give you money to stick around and we'd like to keep you around. And obviously we turned you into this next level player. We turned you into a guy who's worth paying $20 million a year again and would like to bring you back. At some point, though, he may not want to come back and the Jazz have to kind of gauge that interest. And hopefully now that they've kind of sharpened that stick or at least kind of figured out that sense with how Gordon Hayward played everything, maybe they could get an idea of what uh, Derek Favors wants to do as well before February. The Jazz have in the past, you know, kind of run these early first quarter plays for Derek Favors to try yep. to get him going. And and I think you may see that again next year. It, no, actually, no matter what role he's in, just when he's on the court, try to get him offensive touches and see where he's at. And I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Gordon. Hay- I don't think Derek Favors will be on the Jazz in 2018. If I had to put my money on it now, I would say no. It's not impossible though. The way some guys, it's so obviously they're not going to come back. Yeah. Al Jefferson, at some point, it was obvious he was not going to be a part of the team in the future. Boozer was not going to be a part of the team in the future. I don't think you're at that point with Favors, but that could actually start by December. You could realize that would be the case. Agreed. We got a couple tweets. Let's hear them. Um, from Riley O'Brien asking, "Would you have been more excited had the Jazz retained George Hill, or do you guys like Ricky Rubio more for this team?" Uh, I like Ricky Rubio more for this team. That's key. This team. Uh, I like him. Anti. Uh, without Hayward, he makes way more sense because he's only twenty six. And yeah. George Hill at thirty one next year for three years just doesn't make any sense. That's a guy who you were going to trade to get to a winner to get something back for. I, I'm with you. I think George Hill would have added more wins to the Jazz's total next season. Maybe if he um, can play, if he can be healthy. Right. There is he, something weird happened sure. with George Hill. Yeah. There's a reason nobody in the NBA wanted him, and he ended yeah. up in Sacramento. And I think, I mean, it, it comes down to that injury, and I think there's some real worries around the league that it was worse than it was stated. Which, I mean, honestly, Correct. of obviously course it was, it was worse than yeah. it was stated because he hurt his toe in November and it was still costing. Him he was missing games in, in the playoffs, right? Yeah, in May. Yeah. So. Uh, and whether or not that that was going to be healed or whether that needs surgery this offseason and he's going to miss 30 games at the beginning of the year, you know, or if it's a sign of things to real, come. Yeah. In, or if it's a sign of things to come because he's a 30-year-old point guard. Right. Uh, with Ricky Rubio, there's less of that. Um, he's not the most durable player in the world, but there's less of that. Right. He also has way more miles. I'm talking about Rubio. He has way more miles on those tires than the average 26-year-old That's point guard because he's been playing pro basketball since he was 14. Right. So that he's probably closer to 30 in actual games played than a lot of guys are. But still at 26, he should heal a little quicker. He should be more durable. And that might be why there was that downtick in defensive efficiency last year. Yep. Effectiveness, I should say. Yeah. Uh, where you know two years ago he was maybe the best defensive point guard in the league. Last year he was middling. And, I, you know, in a good way, maybe above average, but you know, George not Hill was as impactful. pretty brilliant when Paul George was hurt. For the Pacers. Yeah. And the Jazz probably could have used that type of player who could step up his scoring. That's true. And I don't think you can ask Rubio to give you 16 points a game. Like, hopefully he does, but you can't ask him to and just yeah. assume he'll do it. He can't trade that off for his passing because he's not that skilled of a scorer. He did in the second half of last year. Average right. 16 points a game. Um, and on a team with Andrew Wiggins and Carl sure. Anthony Towns. Um, no Zach Levine because Zach Levine was hurt. But, right. you know, with 
honestly better offensive talent than the Jazz have right now. But I don't trust that that was like a switch he flipped that he can always flip. I think that yeah, was probably right. a little more fluky. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he averages 16 and 10 next year for the Jazz and gets those opportunities and can shoot more. And what was he, over 40% from the floor, close yeah. to 35, 36%? from three. Great. You take it. Two steals a game. 60, yeah, 16 points and 10 assists. Yeah, I, will, I mean, that's a top eight point guard in the NBA at that point. I also just think Ricky Rubio is a more fun player than George Hill. And I would not, and I mean, this is what I wrote about at KSL. I mean, the Jazz are free to just be fun now. Yeah. They, they've spent the last two years auditioning for Gordon Hayward, and it has been a lot of weight on the shoulders of everybody in the organization, including the other players in the organization. You don't have to do that anymore. What, what are you playing for next year? Just hope to make the playoffs. Yeah. You've got Rudy Gobert for the next four years. Yep. So that's fine. You're trying to figure out kind of what you need to build around him and whether or not he's a guy that you can build around and make a real almost a contender out of. You want to see what you have with Donovan Mitchell, but this year's kind of a play year. I mean, this year yeah. you can figure out what you have and have fun with it, and I'm, I'm really excited for your that. Your most important questions are how much players develop and, and what kind of players they really are. So from Ricky Rubio finding his way in a new situation where, you know, is he the best defender, defensive point guard in the league or right. is he middling? Right. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, what kind of player is he? He could be yeah. anywhere on the scale. Rodney Hood. What, Rodney who is Hood, Rodney right? Hood? Is Rodney Hood a number two, three scorer, or is he... J.R. Smith. Because two years ago, he looked like he is going to be. He looked like he had a huge upside, right. like almost Gordon Hayward type upside. Right. If things kept progressing and maybe more of a pure scorer, he wasn't going to have the assists, wasn't going to be the rebounder and kind of maybe innate playmaker that Gordon was, but really looked like he had some some high level scoring abilities where he was regularly getting close to thirty points or over thirty points in that second half of the season. He was really hurt last year. Yeah. That knee just never got better. And is that something that's always going to be the case? Or can he get healthy, stay healthy, get stronger? And then he can handle that type of pressure. And, of course, Derek Favors as yeah. a guy who we have no idea. Is he, is he last year Derek Favors or two years ago yeah. Derek? And Exum. And you got to figure out. Exum's yeah. got, he's got that point. you got to figure out. There are a lot of questions on this team. But that's okay. I love that. That's, because that's great. you can run those guys out. You can play Dante Exum 25 minutes. Everyone complains about... Uh, the the leash that Dante Exum had last year from Quinn Snyder, it was all part of Gordon Hayward's audition. Yeah, you just yeah. could not let Exum lose you games and have it cost you Gordon Hayward. Gordon was frustrated with Dante Exum. Yeah, everything you, you could see it in his face, so right. you could see it talking to. I mean, you could hear it talking to him. Yeah. It, it's clear that he was not a fan of Dante on the court. And right. I think some of that's why Dante didn't play that much. Right. Which is unfortunate. And for Shelvin Dante. Mack, right, is the other. It was his right. other guy, and and it's not that Gordon Hayward and Shelvin Mack were great friends. They never were at Butler. They never were on the yeah. Jazz. But he definitely felt more confident in in having success playing next to Shelvin Mack, um, both at Butler and and right. at Utah. That that he he wanted him on the floor. So I think now you'll see a longer leash for Dante, and it's unfortunate for Dante that he kind of fell in with the team. That's that's the weird thing about ending up with a pick like that on a team that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and that's where the Jazz ended up falling. You know, the Jazz ended up being really good, needing to audition for Hayward, and you couldn't let Dante play those minutes to make mistakes. And now this year, you probably can a little bit. Right. Now, that being said, like, sometimes some players are just not going to work out, no matter how many give minutes you give them. You yeah. know, Emmanuel Moutier, for example, sure. it's, it's not going to be a great Probably toast, yeah. But, and he just makes too many mistakes. Dante might be in that category. Absolutely. You know, if, Could be. If, no matter if you play him 15 minutes game or 35 minutes game like the Nuggets did with Moutier, it may just be that you need a real point guard. Yep. Uh, but he would have had the chance. To and, but, well, and you get to this year. You get to figure it out this year. And you couldn't have figured it out this last year. And obviously he was hurt the year before that. Uh, you get more of an opportunity. I don't know that you get... You don't go full bore. Yeah, but... You I, don't start him. What, just I mean, start what do you him. think he gets 15 minutes a game? You can get more than that. How? He's your backup you point play guard. You can probably play him at the two uh, as well a little okay, bit. Okay, but then, so you're playing Rodney Hood at the two. I mean, like, so how many minutes does Donovan Mitchell get? Hey, that's going to be the balance. Do you play, hey. which one of those guys gets 20 minutes a game? Right. Mitchell's uh, probably better. 
but you got to know what you get with an Exum. And Ex- you have a much quicker clock expiring with Dante right. Exum than you do with Donovan Mitchell. It's true. So in that sense, you may try and play him there. So now Donovan Mitchell is your fifth guard. Yeah. Okay. Probably for a little bit. And you may get you may put Dante Exum at the three, just for a little bit, just because you yeah. can. He's gonna be he's gonna be mad about it. Okay. Okay. You don't, Great. Yeah, you want to be in the NBA or not? Like you got to find a way to be on the floor. You're not going to be in the NBA if you keep not playing <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> All right. It's the uh, Salt City Hoop Show. We're going to continue talking about the new jazz additions and how many minutes those guys can get. Let's talk about that coming up next. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Shoot, Salt City Hoops Show. The Shoop Show. <laughs> Shoop de doop. Uh, he's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. You can follow Andy on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. It's also the best way to get in contact with the show, tweeting at him. You can tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. You can also give us a call. We had a couple of calls in the first hour that were good. 877-353-0700. The Jazz have signed lots of players in the last little bit. Uh, obviously, the what, what was the first signing? Now? It wasn't Jonas Jarebi. It was Tavo Cephalosha. Yeah. So the Jazz brought in Tavo Cephalosha. Then they brought in Jonas Jarebko and Ekbe Udo. They've also now signed Royce O'Neal, which is so out of left field, I think, for everyone in the NBA. And then Eric Griffin as well to the two-way contract. I think there's a chance Eric Griffin ends up being like the hap. I think that's, that's the signing most Jazz fans are excited about because you've seen him recently and he played <laughs> yeah. really well in the D League and he or in summer league and he dunks the ball and he's fun to watch. Ekbe Udo probably plays the most minutes, but maybe Tabo Cephalosha can. Oh, I think I think it's probably Tabo. Okay, given the Jazz's gaping hole at the small forward position. Sure. I mean, it, I guess it's not a gaping hole. You've got Rodney Hood who can play there, and obviously the 13 million dollar man Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles. Yep. Uh, and Joe Johnson a little bit, although honestly, Quinn talked a lot about making him a four. And Dante that, Exum. That's what I'm he telling is. you, Dante at three. Uh, it's not crazy. you got to find a way to get him on the floor if you want to know if he can play or not. And the dumbest thing you could do is have him in your hands and not have tried it out. Yeah. Anyways, I'm, and, not gonna, I'm not, not going to die you're, on the hill of Dante at the three. Don't get me wrong. I just think you want to play him. You're not the first person to have suggested it either. I mean, this is something that Dennis and Quinn have, have yeah. talked about a little bit. Uh, again, it's not Dante's favorite thing. His favorite thing is to have the ball in his hands. Okay. Uh, you know what I bet his real favorite thing is, though? Making money playing professional basketball. <laughs> and you, if you can convince him to do that, then you can say, well, yeah, we need you to guard threes sometimes, and we like the idea that you can get out in transition and be faster than every other three on the floor. Because yeah. you're faster than every other one on the floor, too, and two. So uh, let's get you out there and get you playing, because playing is way more fun than sitting. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's, it's true. But Tavo's so, going to get a lot of minutes. Tavo's and deservedly so. He's a good player. Yeah, uh, he has fallen off a, a significant amount defensively. He got clubbed in the knee by a police officer in New York City. So let's see if he can come back healthy. He did. I mean, he. he, uh, So you're saying he wasn't healthy? Let's just continue to get further away from getting clubbed in the knee to the point where you miss time. Like, let's see if he broke his leg. Like, right? That's crazy. Yes. Let's see if you've rehabbed and you get healthy and you get confident on that leg again. If he can get some of that prowess back, I will say he's developed offensively more than I knew about. You know, I, I I don't watch every Atlanta Hawk game. I watch what? some of them. Right? You don't you don't study Tabo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but I you know talking to some Atlanta fans, talking to his coaches down in summer league, and and watching some videos since, he's a better pick and roll player than I thought. Yeah, he's he, not. He's, he's just more skilled than I thought he was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not great at it by any means. He's not more efficient. But the Jazz can do kind of what they did with Joe Ingles and and Rodney Hood and and ha- be okay with him running pick and roll. Hey, who's the best point guard he's ever played with? 
uh, well, it's Russell Westbrook from like a good point of view, right? But from a Overall setup point talent, of view, who's the best point guard that's ever passed in the ball? Probably Russell Westbrook still. Okay. Jeff Teague last year? Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder, okay, who's kind of learning the game himself. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's probably Westbrook from a setup point of view, who's not a great setup. He's never known. He's a, he's a one pass. He gets assists. Right. Yeah, right. He's a find a corner three guy. Which is Tabo, right? A lot of times that was Tabo. But I bet he's more than that. I bet the, you can do a little more than that. Because I, I think he's a good slasher, too. But absolutely, Ricky Rubio is at a different level. And, yes, Tabo is very good at those backdoor cuts. That was something that his summer league coaches – talked a lot about his coaches who were in summer league, I should say, uh, his ability to kind of cut off the ball, read what the defense is doing, and and make a play for his teammates, or just finish at the rim. He, he can do that as well because of his length and athleticism. He played 25 minutes a game last year. That's yeah. a very high usage player. I mean, I, as far as like he's being used a he's, lot, not yeah. his usage number. <laughs> his is usage up. is low, but very low. But yeah, he's, on the floor he's being used a whole lot. 25 minutes is, I mean, that's basically a starter. And he was basically a starter. He started 42 of the 62 games he played in. Yeah. Like that's a huge majority of, of what he was available for. So I don't think he's a starter for this Jazz team, though I don't think this... There seems to be some idea that this starting lineup is set for the Jazz, and we are, what, several months away from the season still. Yeah. I, I There's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of weaknesses that the Jazz may have to try and cover that may force their hand a little the bit. The hypothesis is this is the starting lineup is Rubio, Rodney Hood, Joe Ingles, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert. That's the most veteran team. Yeah. I don't know that that's the team that they go with. I mean, time and time again, we've seen Quinn go with the guy who's either a newcomer or he wants some scoring or something added off the bench that sure. may make the okay, well, okay. quote-unquote best lineup may not be his starting lineup. And it may be what you're looking for, your best 48 minutes of lineups. So yeah. what's your backup lineup then? Dante Exum with the one, Donovan Mitchell with the two? Right. Who had some good moments together in Summer League and so so have some chemistry. Maybe Tabo like Sefalosh at the three? Okay. So you have three then guys Jonas that are at the four and Ekbeudo at the five. You have three guys who might have major efficiency offensive questions at the one, the two, and the three. Yeah, all of the none of those players can shoot. I mean, Drebko. Well, Tabo, well, let's shoot. say if if Cephalos is your three, he can shoot a little bit, but he's was what thirty four percent last year. Yeah, and thirty four percent before that. I mean, he was once a forty percent three point shooter. So was Jerebko. Again, ideally, those guys would be shooters. They weren't last season, and I don't think they're certainly not creators. You just can't have your perimeter players being that bad of scores. So you may have to mix one of those guys in to the starting lineup and rob Peter to pay Paul a little bit right. by putting. I would say most likely Joe Ingles coming off the bench because mm-hmm. I think Rodney Hood's upside, you got to figure out if he can be a starter and be that number two Maybe. or three scorer. Maybe, yeah. I mean, honestly, theoretically, I like Rodney Hood off the bench a little bit more. I, I, I like higher usage, middling efficiency guys off the bench right. more than I do in the starting lineup. Sure, which but is what we I saw think, in the playoffs for the Jazz. Right. That's why they went with Rodney Hood there. Yes. Uh, but I, I, I think... You know, for those reasons you stated, where you want to see if Rodney Hood is is your number one scorer, honestly, next year, that there's a good chance he's your leading scorer. He should probably be in, be in the starting. And game. let's see what type of minutes he can play at small forward. I don't think it's ideally his spot, but let's see what type of minutes he could get there because then maybe you can get Donovan Mitchell on the floor too, alongside of him. He's with playing either two, Rubio or Exum. So small forward as a starter or as a as a bench player. See how big he is. See how strong he is, and see what he okay. can play. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that too. Um, I mean, the word is that he's doing the Johnny Bryant summer routine, which is waking up at 7 a.m., just like Gordon Hayward did. Waking up at 7 a.m., working out with Johnny Bryant at the Jazz Practice Facility, working on skills through until 11, and then going back and doing it again in the afternoon, you know? And and that worked for Gordon. There have been Jazz players who haven't improved. Heck, Rodney Hood's one of them. So um, I'm curious to see if if he does take that leap next year. No, you're right. Uh, Joe Johnson can be a perimeter-oriented power forward and can give you some ball handling and some scoring and some playmaking. 
Uh, even if you do start three lesser efficient guys at the one, the two, and the three, Joe Johnson can make up for some of that at the four. And then at the five, you probably got Ekbe Udo, who's just not... A, he, probably a little bit more of a creator than fans remember because he can pass, but he's kind of a non-threat offensively, I, otherwise as a scorer. I really do keep forgetting about Joe Johnson. Like, Jonas Drebko is was the most recent signing, and I put him there as a backup power forward, yeah, but he's, he's, he's your 11th, 12th guy right now. Yeah, he's your third power forward, and maybe your third center, and maybe your second center in some scenarios. Now, he might be your fourth center behind Derek Favors. And maybe even Tony Bradley, if he if you think Tony Bradley deserves minutes and might look better with much better players around him. Tony Bradley? Tony Bradley. Yeah, I mean, Tony Bradley, I, I don't think will embarrass you just because... He's just a tall man who can rebound right now, and I, he's solid defensively. Yeah. I think my, my gut tells me that you just are going to have to find a way to get Donovan Mitchell on the floor because he just yeah. is a maker. He just makes things happen one way or another. Yeah. Just, he, he gets transition buckets. He scores on his own. He gets in transition. He gets the team moving. His defense is stifling. He just He does so many things regardless of his efficiency this first year, even if he's under 40%, both from the floor and from the three, that you probably have to get him out there. Yeah, and I think we may see him play more at the point guard position than at the two guard at times, just because you do have a lot of versatile players who can play the wing and, and play, you know defend twos and that sort of thing. You have one real point guard in, in, Dante, uh, in, sorry, in Ricky Rubio, I guess two in Howell Neto, but again, you should be playing Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell over Howell Donovan, I want the ball in his hands. I want him, as a backup point guard, having that opportunity, uh, I think could be really big for him. Uh, we've talked a lot about upping Derek Favors' value to trade him. I don't think this guy is probably tradable, but it's also a name we haven't talked about at all. And he's kind of a guy who looks like he has instant offense potential. And Steve texts in uh, to the show, what about Alec Burks? Is that a guy who you think you can put the ball in his hands when the guy Jazz are going to need a guy with the ball in his hands to be able to score. No. Can you give it to Alec Burks at least for 10 minutes a game and then expect him to play? Can he get 10 minutes a game next year? I mean, ideally he could. I Okay, so a couple things on Alec Burks. One, even when he was healthy, he wasn't a efficient offensive nor defensive right. player. Like He was a, it, definitely a net negative on the floor. I think you, you saw coaches from Ty Corbin to Quinn Snyder get frustrated with his taking plays off on the defensive end, uh, really weird decisions in terms of leaking out on defense where he shouldn't, you know, like kind of looking for himself a little bit on both ends of the floor. That has to change at some point, and maybe Alec is a more mature player than he was three, four seasons ago. It's possible. But then you have to also say that he's healthy, and you have to see that. And he, you know, what made him special was getting by guys, flying over guys. And kind of going through guys at times, even with his you know fancy finishes, and he did none of that last season. And you know until you see that, whether that be in practice or on the court, I'm expectly officially expecting nothing from Alec Burks. Huh? That's that's low. Nothing. Right. <laughs> nothing is really low, Andy. Uh, yeah. And man, he played 27 games three years ago, and 31 games two years ago, and 42 games last year. And I thought last year 40- he, he was his least productive. Yeah. Uh, right, and so it's it's three knee surgeries later. Uh, a shoulder surgery. A shoulder surgery. Yeah, just might be too much. His body just it, might an not ankle be able surgery. To do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it may just be over. Then again, maybe he's that type of guy who we've talked about these super athletic players that find Figure value later in their career, which is he's actually not. We, I, I've always thought of him as a. Non, I think a lot of Jazz fans have thought of him as a non three point shooter. His last three years, he shot thirty seven percent from three, which is not forty, which is probably where right. he needs to be as a shooting guard if that's going to be his job. But if he can get that not up bad. to 38, 39, and 
kind of touch 40, get close to that point, you might be able to use him if he realizes like, hey, I want to sign another contract and yeah. I can do that if I don't get hurt anymore. And the best way to not get hurt shots. is to stand outside and shoot threes. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And you have to convince him that that's his role. You know, it, you you bring up his, his shooting percentage, but it's not on very many threes a game um, for, for a current NBA three-point shooter. I mean, two per game last year. And again, it's only 15 minutes. It's per 36 minutes. It's 4.8 per game. That's that's not a lot. You remember the, um, uh, you've seen Moneyball. Mm-hmm. You remember the uh, Billy Bean, David Justice conversation where yeah. they're saying, like, we don't need you to be whoever it was, New York Yankees, David Justice, whoever it was. Like, we need you to come in. You take pitches. Take pitches. Like, we don't need you to be Alec Burks at Colorado, point guard, shooting right. guard, dunking on people. We need you to sit outside and shoot a couple of threes a game for 10 minutes and extend your career for the next eight years. And honestly, the most important part there is going to be on the defensive end. Because, right, like, yeah. I think you could convince Alec Burks to do that offensively. Defensively, he hasn't ever shown an ability to apply himself off the ball in a, in a way that works. Okay. De- on the ball, he's actually pretty good. Off the ball, it's it's a wreck. When we come back, uh, let's talk about some of the rumors around the NBA. There have been a couple of pieces moving, uh, some signings today. We'll talk about those. It's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Go, 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 the home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Tweet at Andy on Twitter, at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet at me, at Ben's Hoops. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, kind of the last. There's a couple of big free agent names still out there. They're not yeah. the most desirable players. They have much bigger names than they do talent now. Uh, Pau Gasol, though, I think he's just always going to be a Spur. I mean, not always because he hasn't always been a Spur, but I thought he opted out with the idea of signing with the Spurs and giving them a little more cap flexibility. Yeah, maybe that still works out. But again, I think I don't think there's any way he recoups what he what his player option was for, which was twenty million dollars. So may have made a mistake there in my mind. Um, you know, maybe it was the right play with Chris Paul available. Maybe you, you know, hope for the best there. Or, heck, any of these other free agents, maybe you thought you had a run at you know, George Hill, for example. Sure. But uh, regardless, now it seems like he's given up money, at least in my mind, so that the Spurs could sign Rudy Gay, which doesn't feel great. No, maybe th- the Spurs still have another move left with, I don't know if LaMarcus Aldridge is going to be on the team next year. And so maybe he's he's part of that. Uh, and that's got to be something. But I, I imagine he comes back. And then the other big name, it's a former MVP. And Derrick Rose, who's still available, he's not great. He's not bad. I don't think he's as bad as everyone thinks he is. He had the weird off-the-court issues not showing up. But then again, it's like the Knicks. Like, well, was there supposed to be accountability? Phil didn't have accountability. (laughs) Honestly, the the GM or president of basketball operations had no accountability. So why should anybody else? I don't blame Derrick Rose for that, though. He's got some questionable off-the-court stuff. I think in the right situation, he could still be a good player. It was weird how Phil forgave Derrick Rose for not showing up to a game and was so furious at... Chris stops for missing the exit interview. Yeah, uh, especially given the respective age and position and goodness of those players. There's also Derrick Rose not showing up is not going to cost you your job. Chris Stapp's not showing up, and you being the problem might cost you your job. And it did. Fair. Yeah. And I think that that is part of the reason why Phil got fired uh, last year. What do you think? Do you offhand? You probably know this just because you're a junkie. Yeah. I mean, what do you think Derrick Rose averaged last year? I think he had 17 points a game. 18. 18. Okay. Four and four. 
Yeah. Like, that's a and great it's decent, player. It's not super efficient. It's not it's not super efficient, but honestly, it's his best season in the last five years. Yeah, and doesn't know how to shoot the three still, um, but played 64 games. Like, I would, and, and the rumor is it's either the Cavs or the Lakers right. now. Uh, He's very bad defensively. And yeah. clearly is not a guy who helps your teammates out, right? Like, he's not a distributing point guard at all. The Knicks needed a lot from him. I like the idea of him playing next to Kyrie Irving and LeBron. Mostly LeBron, because I think LeBron can make you into something. Do you think he'll play next to him, or just as their backup point guard? He'll be, yeah, not next to Kyrie so much, unless there's late-game situations where you want to have three guys who can score the ball on the floor and create. Yeah. Uh, which you might just need to throw so much firepower at Golden State if you want to have a chance that you just take a flyer on a guy like that. I, I would yeah. if I were the Cavs and I could get him for... I mean, he's better than Darren Williams. Right. He's a lot better than Darren Williams. Is he better than Jose Calderon, who they signed earlier yeah. this summer? Yeah, I think so, probably. Jose's probably done. He can shoot, but he might be done. It's otherwise. weird that they signed him, given that. But it's... Yeah. Uh, the Lakers being interested doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like, you just had Lonzo Ball put up one of the most amazing summer leagues we've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, doing triple doubles and things that, again, we haven't seen in summer league before. And now you want to take away minutes and give those to Derrick Rose and, and all of that. Right. Like I, I get that you're looking for a backup point guard and, and you're hoping for a high, I guess, a high-variance guy and you hope that Derrick Rose turns out to be something. But I think we have enough evidence to know what Derrick Rose is at this point. You're trying to develop a team, and I, I don't think Magic Johnson believes in that so much, and that's why they've made some weird choices. I just don't. I, I'm so torn on Magic Johnson or whether or not I think he's being brilliant or whether he's just an idiot. Like, his Twitter account makes me think he's an idiot. Yeah. and And his commentary... Honestly, makes yeah. me think he's an idiot. But he got Lonzo Ball at two, which is brilliant. Is that brilliant, or is that just picking best player available? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes the low hanging fruit, picking it, is the right thing. Okay. Sometimes so that's what, brilliant. what's a good Magic Johnson move, or even like well, okay. comment? I like Kuzma twenty seven. Yeah, that's good. That thing. was really good. But <laughs> they're always thing. good at that. And actually, now I like knowing how good Lonzo Ball is. You got rid of D'Angelo Russell, and you got rid of, more importantly, you got rid of that horrible contract. Uh, you like that move? I like Brook Lopez, the, the Mozgov, and you got Kuzma out of it. Yeah, yeah I mean, Kuzma might point. be better than D'Angelo Russell. You might have gotten two upgrades wow. and a shorter contract. Like, low-key, that might be one of the best deals the Lakers have ever made. Not ever. I mean, they traded for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. But, and they traded for Magic Johnson, too, from the Jazz. But they, got, they might have gotten the two best players in that and gotten out of the worst contract. That's a fair point, and yet I still like it from Brooklyn's point of view. Yeah, well, what does right? Brooklyn have to lose? You don't have any it's use for Brook Lopez. Right, and, and you're not... Here's the thing. If Kyle Kuzma gets drafted by Brooklyn, he's not Kyle Kuzma. Like yeah. he's not going to be that good. I just think there's something about right spot, right time, playing next to Lonzo Ball that makes him really good. That's a good point. Um, and I, I actually believe in DeAndre Russell. I feel like more than most people do at this point. And he, only 21. He needed a culture change. He could not handle the bright lights of Las Vegas or of uh, Los Angeles. How about those bright lights in New York, a bigger city? Yeah, but Brooklyn is not quite that cool. It's cool, right? That's true. It, but it's not like New York City cool, and the Nets are not cool. And in, yeah, that that's very true. And in particular, like the the organization, I think in Brooklyn is a lot more secure, set up to, to yeah. kind of nurture that. Than, and actually, kind of like some of their young, they've got kind of some young blue collar guys. I feel yeah, that are like trying to earn it. Karis LeVert. I mean, yeah, he's cool. He's yeah. cool. Uh, even guys like their veteran guys like Trevor Booker, I think, make a difference. Yeah, exactly. I think they've got a good mindset for a guy who needed to be reset a yeah. little bit, and I think you're going to see that now. We've got uh, a. Question from, sorry, were you saying something? No, let's go. Quick Real quick, uh, Austin Brown asked, with Hayward gone, whose team is this now? Oh, I mean, with Rudy Hayward Gobert. here, it was Rudy Gobert's team. Yeah, that's still right. Uh, I'm excited to see Quinn Snyder grow. 
he's got to yeah. he's got to go even bigger, and I'm excited to see what he can do because I bet he's I bet he's great. He's got to pull this team to reasonable offensiveness, and it's going to be fun. What has he ever shown since he's been with the Jazz that shows he couldn't do that? Nothing. I mean, he was yeah. that the Jazz were 16th two years ago. It's great. Huge thanks to Brittany running the board today, Andy. Thanks for uh, having us on. As always, it's the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700.